Heal Your Soul podcast. I'm your host, Mira Luna, and I want to thank you for joining me for another episode. In this episode, I talk about what exactly well-being is, what exactly happiness is, and how, in a scientific way, would you define that so that we can measure it and quantitate whether you have a little bit of it or a lot of it. So before we get into that, if you're new here, please subscribe to get updates on new episodes. And if you're on iTunes, please, please, please give the show a five-star rating and review. It's quick and free for you, and it is a massive way to say thank you for all the free episodes. Please also feel free to follow me on Instagram at Miraluna for more great content. You can also send me a DM with any questions and or comments, and I'll get back to you as soon as possible. But also, if you love this episode, please take a screenshot screenshot of yourself listening to it, throw it up on your stories and tag me and I will share it on my stories. So let's get into it. What exactly is well-being? What exactly is happiness? So the reason we're defining well-being rather than happiness is because happiness is a feeling whereas well-being is a state. So In well-being, you can have all sorts of feelings and emotions, which I'll get into in a second, whereas with happiness, it's just one emotion. So when you're, there's a whole bunch of positive emotions that you can experience as part of well-being that isn't necessarily happiness, quote-unquote. So I want to define that for starters because it's really important that Yes, being happy all the time is elusive and probably impossible, to be honest, but that doesn't mean having a life where you feel well-being all of the time or almost all of the time is not, imp- is not possible. It is possible to have a life that you feel well-being almost all of the time. Yes, there are going to be periods where you're going to have some negative emotions you're going to have to grieve, maybe you go through a breakup or a loved one passes away, and yes, it is fully, fully, fully good and wonderful, and you should honor yourself if you have sadness or grief or anything during these times, and there's going to be times that are hard and don't come easily and and aren't (laughs) necessarily perfectly joyful, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they have to really drag you down. You can be content with your life and still have a full range of emotions. So I want to start with that. And so we have what is called well-being theory, and it was first brought up or first popularized by psychologist Martin Seligman, who is often known as the founder of positive psychology. And he came up with what he calls the PERMA model, which is a five-sided model of well-being. And so all of the information on this PERMA model is from Martin Seligman's lectures and his books on perma theory and positive psychology. So I just want to let you know that I haven't divined all of this. Um, This is his theory that I want to walk you through. So 
These are five elements that through his research and his study, he has found are essential to us as humans feeling like we have well-being in our life and satisfaction in our life. So the first one, the P of PERMA, is positive emotion. So that's kind of what I referenced between happiness and well-being is to have well-being, you will have to have positive emotions in your life, but there's a whole range of positive emotions besides just happiness. So for well-being, the first foundation of it is positive emotion, and this can be all sorts of moods. So what are some positive emotions? It could be gladness, it could be joy, it could be excitement, it could be contentment, it could be serenity, it could be hope, it could be it could be gratitude and thankfulness. So positive emotion can be a whole range of things. It's not just happiness. And so why is positive emotion important to your well-being? Well, positive emotions have an impact that goes far beyond just, you know, bringing a smile to our faces. Feeling good actually helps us to perform better in both work and in study. It boosts our physical health and it actually puts us in a better place to heal. There have been studies that show that people who are severely stressed out heal much worse than people who may be stressed out but have a more optimistic mindset. So again, back to last week's episode, optimism is essential in so many ways because it sets up our situation for us to heal both mentally and physically. And the study I'm referencing looked at a variety of patients with very severe illness and pretty much everybody's going to have stress in that situation, but the patients who looked at their stress with a very pessimistic point of view actually heal had a much harder time healing than the people who looked at it with a very positive mindset of yes I will get better, yes it'll be okay. So having a positive having positive emotion and positive outlook actually does impact our both our mental health but our actual physical health. It helps to strengthen our relationships. Obviously, you can, it's, everybody has <laughs> friendships during times of hard times, but it's always easier to be friends with people when they're in good moods, and you should never feel guilty about being in a bad mood or having a full range of emotions and sharing that with the people you're with. But obviously, it's so much easier to celebrate with and enjoy life when you're with other people who are doing that too. So that's another time when optimism comes into play is even if you are struggling, if you are having a bad time, it actually strengthens your relationships to not invalidate your feelings, to fully take ownership of your feelings, to validate that you are are justified in having these feelings, but that this is a stage in your life and that this is passing will actually help strengthen your relationships and, again, help you move forward. Whereas if you're having a bunch of negative emotions and you are just locked into a pessimistic point of view, which, again, everybody gets into at some point. So 
this isn't a critique and this isn't a you can never do this and you can never come back from this point I've totally been there in many stages of my life and have turned it around so it's not a a death sentence but it's so much easier for for people to help you and for you to have stronger relationships which are then going to help you move in the direction you want to go if you can try to cultivate an optimistic outlook rather than getting too bogged down in pessimism. Positive emotions also help inspire us to be more creative, to take chances, and to look at our future with optimism and hope, which are obviously two more positive emotions. Again, feeling good is contagious, so when you're around other people who feel good, it's contagious, and when you're, you're feeling good, it's contagious to other people. Seeing other people smile makes us want to smile. Hearing laughter makes us want to laugh. And so when we share our good feelings with others, they appreciate and it creates this vicious cycle of more and more positivity. And so we all, again, like I said, experience high and highs and lows. But again, we do ourselves harm when we dwell on the lows. We get into those pessimistic mindsets. So if we linger too long in the past and sit in the pain and the regret from the past, we can become depressed. And if we spend too much time in the future and worrying about what can happen and how things can go wrong, that's when we become anxious and pessimistic. So it's incredibly important when we're feeling positive emotions to enjoy those positive emotions without then worrying about other things coming in to ruin those positive emotions. And if you're somebody who, when you're going through a really positive time, find yourself suddenly thinking about all the things that can go wrong and ruin this wonderful moment, you are not alone. This is almost human nature. It's so common. Brene Brown talks about it in her book, Daring Greatly that it's a part of human nature that we, when we're having very good things, we think it will protect ourselves from the disappointment of something bad happening after a good thing happening by worrying about the bad thing during the good thing. But the only thing it does is it ruins the good stuff we have going on by creating that bad stuff those bad emotions, those bad feelings, that worry, that anxiety during our positive moments. And it doesn't let us ever get to enjoy our positive uh, moments. So if you're having a time where you're having a really positive experience and you feel those fears or that worry start to creep in, don't try and shut it down. Don't try and push it away because it is a message. It is a message your body wants you to hear, your mind wants you to hear. So anytime you have a message, this goes with pain or any type of fear, the more you clamp down on it and you tell your body and your mind that you're not going to listen, the stronger those messages are going to come through. But simply when those things come in, say you're having a really good time with your kids and suddenly you get this flash of something bad happening to them, say, I hear you, I know that is possible, but right now we are safe and we are having a good time and I'm going to enjoy this moment. And those feelings may keep popping into your head and you may have to keep repeating that, but 
Again, this is a practice. So that is just practicing this as a skill. And the more you practice it, the more it will be a skill and those thoughts won't pop in and invade your good moments and you'll be able to cherish those good moments. And yes, those good moments won't last forever. Bad things will happen at some point or neutral things will come in. It won't be quite as positive. And, but the, the important part is that you don't ruin the special moments by worrying about that stuff. Yes, it will come at some point, but the more you enjoy and cherish the good stuff that you have right now, the more you will create opportunities for that good stuff, the more you will build that optimism. And so even when the neutral or the bad stuff comes through, you will know then that that stuff is also a cycle, is also going to be moving through and to not trap yourself in those moments either. So what are types of things that give us positive emotions? What helps make us feel good? So this can be all sorts of things and it is really something that you should cultivate for yourself. There's some through lines for people, but there's also you in this life have very particular things that will help guide you to what you're meant to do in this life and to your own unique gifts. So not everybody is going to love all of the same things. I absolutely love psychology and doing research into it and hearing the studies behind it. Not everybody loves it in that sort of way. So there are through lines, but then there's also, it's really important for you to figure out what lights you up. And one of the best things you can do for that is if you really feel stuck on that and you really struggle to remember what you like to do in particular, it's good to think back to when you were a child and what you were interested in then before people told you, oh, that's not cool, or only nerds do that, or only this type of people does that, or oh, don't engage in that. And also to look at where you're jealous of other people because that shows you in firm detail of what you're interested in, what you'd like your life to be. And if you take a second to look into that and instead of looking at it as, oh, I'm a bad person, I'm being jealous, instead looking at it as, oh, I'm jealous here, what is it about this person that's I want to have more of in my life? And when you identify that, you can start looking into ways that you can incorporate more of that into your life. And sometimes it feels way out of reach, but you can start to incorporate little versions of it and that will help to build you to the big version. So some of the through lines of what makes us feel good is spending time with friends and family, people that we really trust and who we can be very truly vulnerable with. These are important or people who are just really fun to be around. Maybe you can't share all your inner secrets with them, but they're just fun, positive people or they are really deep people and they inspire things in you. You know, there's all sorts of, of relationships we create that give us positive emotions. So spending time with these people, engaging in hobbies. So again, finding stuff that lights you up and creating hobbies out of them, exercising, finding exercise that is enjoyable for you, getting out in nature, eating great food, Last week, I talked about how we make 
positive change so much more from positive emotions. And if you're having a really hard time in your life, you might be saying, well, how do I make positive change when I feel so negative all of the time? And one of the things to do is, are there any foods you really like? Do you really like tea? Do you really like pumpkin spice lattes? Do you really like certain types of music? Do you really like certain movies? Things that are very accessible. Do you like certain YouTube channels? Anything like that that gives you a little positive moment. If you are trying to make a change, if there's something you're trying to build up the courage to do, or you know there's something you want to cultivate in your life and you're just having a hard time finding the motivation, any of that stuff, instead of looking up something that makes you feel bad to try and guilt yourself into doing it, which comes up a lot in exercise, so, so a lot of times we, if we want to change our physique, we will look at pictures of people with bodies that we like and sometimes that will inspire our positivity and that will be really good at getting us to do it. But a lot of time that will inspire more shame within us and will actually cause help almost prevent us from doing it. So what's a much better method is to find something that you know for a fact, whether it's related to the change you're trying to make or not, makes you feel good. Do that before you try and make this change so you're in the most positive that you can be in that moment and then try and make the change and see if it is actually a bit easier. Or you can do the gratitude exercise of writing down three things you're grateful for, getting in that mindset, and then try and make some changes. Anything, little thing you can do to get in a more positive mindset before you want to make a change in your life will actually be very beneficial to you. So you can also look into learning new things. Learning new things can sometimes be intimidating or make us feel bad about it because generally we start off bad at a new thing and quote-unquote bad at a new thing and that doesn't feel good. But if you can learn new things in a way where there's no uh, qualitative or quantitative measure at the end of it, so there's no comparison, so doing something in the comfort of your own home. So if you mess up, nobody can laugh at you. Nobody can see. Nobody knows. It's just you. Or doing something that doesn't have any tests or grades or anything. So you can actually just focus on what inspires you. Or doing something like just reading a book and hearing what's in that. Because even sometimes doing stuff by ourselves and attempting something new we can identify if we're not succeeding at it. And if we've been in a mind space for so long that success defines our happiness, even when nobody is there to tell us we're not succeeding, we can be really hard on ourselves. So even finding something like watching a documentary or reading a book where you can learn without having any sort of pressure to perform or show that you've learned anything or that you've gotten anything out of it is really, really a a great practice to do. So I'm probably only going to get through a couple of PERMA today. 
Um, so I will be continuing this as a series this week. It will be finished by next Thursday. But I really want to get you all the details on all of these things and give you the full time on them. So if you're enjoying this so far, I have another one for you. But before we get to that, I just want you to know that the last few of them I will cover over the next th two episodes of this week. So it will be all kind of mini-series into well-being as a, a theory in, <laughs> in science. So that being said, how many of you have ever felt useless? Like if you're not working, if you're not doing anything, if you're bored, you feel lazy and useless. This is an issue with engagement. Engagement is when we feel like we are in the state of flow. This is when we are absorbed with what we are doing, when we are engaging with our passions, when we are really diving into something that interests us, when we spend too much time away from what we are excited about, from our passions, from all of those things, the things that light us up, we feel a lack of engagement. We feel a lack of flow. And this creates a feeling that we're not thriving. And we tend to start to feel bored. We tend to start to feel useless. And we tend to start to add in numbing behaviors to kind of replicate that feeling of flow, that feeling of, of passion. And this is another thing that Brene Brown talks about and the most common one is substance abuse. Substance abuse is the most notable and most dramatic form of numbing. But we all numb when we feel out of flow, when we feel out of alignment, when we feel like we're not connecting with our passions and we're having to do fill our lives with a bunch of stuff that doesn't excite our interest. So if you have a job that doesn't excite your interest, or a lot of people actually, the most common type of numbing is actually not substance abuse. Substance abuse is the most common thought of version, but the most common type of numbing is things like being really busy or trying to, it's codependency, always filling your time with other people, never wanting to be alone. And this is because if we don't have a lot of engagement or flow in our life, when we have to sit with ourselves without doing anything, without having anybody else to talk to, without having a beer in our hand, without smoking, without shooting up without any of these things, without having TV on, without having YouTube, without scrolling through Instagram, any of these things are hitting, ringing the bell. These are all numbing behaviors because we don't have enough engagement in life. And when we have to sit with ourselves without any of these things, it becomes really apparent that we don't know who we are. We don't know what we're passionate about. And it's scary and it feels like we are useless and we don't like feeling useless. Nobody likes feeling useless. So again, it's really important to figure out what 
really lights you up in life, what you're passionate about, what your likes and dislikes are, and to start to align with those things so that even if you are working in a job that you don't have the best flow in, you can have a hobby that you creates tons of engagement for you and you could start a blog or you can make things on your free time or you can create music or take up dancing or write for write articles, write a book or make little movies. Whatever you need whatever lights you up, whatever lights up your passions, whether you incorporate it into your work or not, and ideally you would incorporate it some to some degree into your work. It doesn't have to be that if you're very artistic that you become a freelance artist or anything. It can just be that you work more on an artistic side or you work for a company that values aesthetics, things like that, so you can have more engagement and more flow in your life. But it doesn't have to be as in your like your main career. It can be hobbies. It can be side jobs. It can be weekend activities. But you need places where you can truly connect to your passions and know that you're aligned with your true self. Otherwise, you will start to feel these feelings of uselessness and boredom and you will try and numb those feelings with being too busy, always have something else around, spending all your time on social media, trying to make drama in relationships could be a way of numbing, trying to create that chaos so the attention is not on you. Again, substance abuse. And so what what is the definition of flow? I've mentioned it a few times in terms of engagement. And flow is this state of being where you're working on something and it may be something that's difficult. It doesn't, being in flow doesn't mean you're working on something that's easy. But when you're working on it, time disappears. It doesn't become, it's not a factor anymore. You're working, you're connected to your intuition, you're connected to your creativity. And things are coming out of you so quickly and so fluidly, why it's called flow, that you don't notice the time passing. And so if you're really in flow, you can start a project in the morning and notice the light change and think maybe a cloud has moved in front of the sun and it's turned out that the sun is actually setting because you are just so passionate, so into this that time moves by and you're completely unaware. So try and think about times when you've had that, when you've been so engaged in something that time just has fallen away and that you could just do it and do it and do it and do it and do it. And that doesn't mean that we should try and have flow 24-7 because it is a bit of a manic experience. It's good mania, (laughs) but... It has to be balanced by rest. So you can have periods of very intense flow and then balance it with periods of rest and restoration to re- to rebuild that creativity to keep yourself from burning out because burning out is you just go, 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 and you never stop. And it can happen very easily in places where you don't have a lot of flow, but it also can happen in places where you do have flow. So you need to be mindful that it needs to be balanced with rest. 
But again, it is that feeling where things just come out of you. It feels natural. It may be difficult. It may be taxing on the brain, but it comes out and you're so alive when you're in a place of flow. It's a state of utter blissful immersion in the present moment. It's the most present you can ever be in a moment. And so why is this important? Because it creates a sense of momentum. If you remember the physics law that an object in motion stays in motion and an object at rest stays at rest, it's not exactly one-to-one with the human experience, but say you're lying in bed and it's cold outside. Just think about how hard it is for you to get out of bed, take off the covers, put your feet on the cold ground. You worry about that cold. You feel tired. You feel sluggish. And you lie in bed and you think about how not good it's going to be to get out of bed. But once you're out of bed, once you started making breakfast, once, especially if you have like a morning fitness routine, you get out of bed, you're immediately into your fitness routine, suddenly you're not questioning anything, you're warmed quickly, and you feel productive, you're ready to tackle the day, you want to keep going, one foot is going in front of the other, and you're absorbed in the moment. This is that flow, this is the momentum to positively move through the day, to feel purposeful in the day, to not roll out of bed eventually when you really have to and then throw on everything as quickly as you can, forget breakfast because you're out of time, go into work, slogging through at work, why am I here? That's not engagement. You're not present with it. You don't want to be there. Whereas if you're up, you're ready to be in the present moment, you're ready to tackle things, and you're moving through, that feels productive, that keeps you from feeling useless, and that is really positive, that makes us feel really, really good. And so, how do you incorporate more engagement into your life? Well, much of the work of positive psychology involves identifying and cultivating your personal strengths your core values, your virtues, and your talents. And when we identify our greatest strengths, we can consciously engage in work and activities that make us feel the most confident, the most productive, and the most valuable. So you identify those things that light you up and you start to incorporate them into your life and you will start to feel more productive, more valuable, more passionate, and that will bleed out into other areas of your life, even if you aren't able to make them the perfect situation, at least not right now. If you cultivate a consistent area in your life where you can create that sense of flow, that sense of purposefulness and usefulness will bleed out into other areas of your life. And so we can also learn skill, this skill in its own way, which is the skill of mindfulness, of being present, of how to cultivate this 
sense of being present and getting the most out of every moment. So numbing is trying to avoid the present moment. It's trying to escape what is happening in the present moment. Whereas mindfulness is focusing on the present moment, not worrying about the future, not dwelling in the past, sitting in the present moment and enjoying it, finding the virtue and the value in it, and taking conscious decision of what you are doing in the moment. So even if you are sitting watching TV, taking the moment to decide, I am watching the TV right now because it is something that brings me joy. I will watch two episodes that will be an hour long, and then I will go read a book and learn something new, or then I will go make dinner, or then I will, etc. So that you are conscientiously choosing to rest or to be productive. And in that way, both rest and both activity, whether you're doing or you're being, feels productive and makes you feel engaged and in flow. Whereas when we are avoiding the present moment, we tend to think of rest as wasteful, as being lazy, as being useless and we think of activity and motion as being the only thing to create usefulness but this is avoidance not not actually sitting with the present moment so that is what we have for this week next week or rather, I'm so used to other podcasts that do it once a week, I forget that I, I'm not doing that. <laughs> so on Tuesday, you can look forward to a talk on relationships. And I might get into another one, but relationships is a really big one. So we might just do relationships on Tuesday and then on Thursday do meaning and accomplishment. But we'll see. So the, the last three are relationships, meaning, and accomplishment. I'm not sure how they're going to be divided up between Tuesday and Thursday. But please tune in and listen to the next two episodes. I've got a lot more good information in them. And I really hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, please make sure you're subscribed to the podcast. Give it, if you're on iTunes, give it a five-star rating and review. And again, if you're on Instagram, please grab a screenshot of you listening. Put it on your Instagram stories. Tag a friend who you think would benefit from this episode. Remember, you can follow me on Instagram at Miraluna and tag me in those stories. I will share them on my page. I also offer Akashic Records readings, life coaching, and a brand new program on how to read your inner aura to connect to your unique gifts and strengths on my website at miraluna.com. So with that, thank you for listening, and I will see you in the next episode of Truly Whole Heal Your Soul Podcast.